Well, good morning, Northbrook. Hope you're doing well. Uh, if you're new to Northbrook, my name is John, one of the pastors here, and uh, so excited to be with you this morning. As we continue in our Lent series, Change of Heart, we are in week four. Uh, so the past three weeks, Pastor Mike has been walking us through some of uh, our spiritual disciplines as we come to the Lent season. Um, and so we have looked at uh, the disciplines of rethinking, uh, responding, and repenting. And we come to week four, and don't worry, it's another R word, so you can remember it. Uh, but before we get there, um, just a reminder or new information, if this is your first time with us in the Lent series, uh, but we do have a resource available to you out in the lobby, um, or if you're watching online, there's a digital resource on our website, um, just giving you some ways to respond during Lent. And um, if you're wondering why, why we have this or why you should take a look at this card, um, I like to think of Lent as kind of uh, January for the soul. Uh, you know, in January, most of us or some of us, we kind of take a look at our physical bodies and we go, maybe I want to eat healthier or maybe I want to exercise, right? January is just this natural season where we tend to evaluate our physical bodies. And I think Lent, uh, for me, Lent is an opportunity to do the same for my soul. As uh, we prepare our hearts for Easter, it's an opportunity for us to kind of check in with how our inner lives are doing. Um, and so this card just gives you some opportunities, uh, repentance, fasting, prayer, generosity, um, to engage in that practice. And to be clear, um, none of these practices, they're not about earning brownie points from God, right? We're not trying to impress God as we come to Easter. Um, rather, these are opportunities for us to grow and become more like Christ and live life well. Uh, these practices help us accomplish that. Um, and one of them, uh, fasting, we've given you an opportunity uh, to join with us in a, a corporate challenge. And so if you've been around the past couple of weeks, you know Pastor Mike issued a challenge for all of us to do an entertainment media fast every Monday. Um, and what that means is basically every Monday uh, we're challenging you to give up things like social media, TV, Netflix, the news, video games, uh, and to uh, take the time you would be spending on those things to focus on God and others. Um, and so I know uh, some of you told me you've been doing it and uh, it's been going well. I know uh, my family, we decided uh, as a family, we have three kids and we decided that we were all going to do it. Um, and when I say we, I mean, my wife and I decided that all uh, five of us were going to do it. And uh, I was a little nervous about how it was going to go. Uh, the kids giving up video games and uh, my wife and I not on social media and I wouldn't have my ESPN app. Um, but I have to say it's actually, though it's been difficult, uh, these past two Mondays have actually been really good. Um, the first Monday, we had some friends over and played some board games. And uh, what I found is I went through my day without constantly being on my phone, I felt like I was more present to other people, and I felt like I was more settled. Um, and so I uh, want to encourage you, we have three Mondays left, it's not too late, to, uh, to participate with us. And, I, and the last thing I'll say about this is if you're sitting here and you're like, wow, that sounds awful, then it's probably a good practice for you to engage in. So I'll just leave that there. So if you were here uh, for uh, my first message of the year back in January, uh, you know that the Malstead family has a new pet, uh, Skywalker the Bearded Dragon, we got over Christmas, and uh, 
It took about two years of convincing for my wife to say yes, but she would tell you he has been a great addition. Uh, he has a lot of personality, very fun, and uh, eats a lot of crickets. Um, I, I don't know if you knew this. I, I wasn't aware of how many crickets uh, baby bearded dragons eat, uh, but we've been keeping track, and so far his record in one meal of small crickets is 130. Yeah, and they're 10 cents a piece, so... Um, you can do the math on that one. <laughs> but he's been a lot, a lot of fun. Uh, but uh, about a week and a half ago, uh, we noticed that he was uh, favoring his right front leg. He was gingerly walking on it, and so we kept an eye on him. And over the next couple days, it got worse. Uh, until uh, the, over the weekend to Monday, he, he wasn't putting any weight on it at all. And so uh, I found a bearded dragon vet, which is actually a little more difficult than uh, you would like. And uh, yes, we took him into the vet, and she did a thorough examination, and uh, she did x-rays uh, on this bearded dragon, and come to find out, his leg was broken. I don't know how he broke uh, Yes, thank you. Um, I don't know how he broke it, but he did, and so she wrapped it up, and, and you can see she actually like wrapped it against his body so he couldn't use it, so he's on three, um, three legs right now. And um, she gave us medicine and supplement. Uh, no, we bought from her medicine and supplements. And um, he has to he has to wear that for three weeks, and then hopefully it'll be fixed. And so his new nickname in our house that I've given him is Expensive Hobbler. <laughs> that is the new nickname we're going with. But all of that got me thinking. You know, we human beings, we, uh, we pay attention to our physical bodies, right? When something is wrong, uh, we react and we want to fix it. And we even take that one step further, many of us with our pets, right? We monitor our pets. And when we see something going on with our pet, uh, we react and we want to fix it. We, we get medicine, we take them into the vet, we do whatever we need to to have the problem fixed, whether it's simple run to the store, right? If, if our child is has a fever or something, right? We may go get medicine. Uh, we may talk to a friend. We may Google symptoms. Or if it's more serious, we go into the doctor and we expect that the doctor is going to examine us thoroughly or our child thoroughly and come up with a plan, And that's just simple, right? Like, that's common sense. I think everyone in here is like, yes, totally get it, totally agree. But I wonder when it comes to our spiritual lives, our hearts. You know, this series is called Change of Heart. Of course, we're not talking about our actual heart. We're talking about the part of us that is most real and true, our soul, if you will, the part of you that you will take into eternity. When it comes to our soul... I wonder if at times we fail to examine the inner workings of our life, or at times we just ignore the symptoms. How often do we limp through life deep down knowing something is off in our souls? Maybe the symptoms are snapping at the people around us, being short with our family, our friends, our coworkers. Or maybe it's just going, on your, going through your day on edge. You ever just gone through your day and you just felt on edge? Or maybe it's an uneasy feeling. Maybe it's anxiousness as you go about your day. Or maybe it's just this nagging feeling, knowing that the life of fullness and joy and peace and light burdens that Jesus promised is available to us, 
is nowhere to be found. I think we've all had those days where we thought we were doing pretty well and then something happened and we kind of overreacted and we're like, whoa, where did that come from? Ever had one of those moments? Some of you had that this morning. I, uh, I remember a, uh, a number of years ago, very specifically, it was a, it was a Saturday morning and uh, our kids were younger and I had made them breakfast and uh, one of our kids, they all had juice and one of our kids that I won't name, but I will refer to him as him and we only have one boy in our family, so some of you can do the math there. Um, he had juice and it didn't have a lid on the cup and you know where this story is going. And uh, so he, every time he would take a drink, he would set it on the very edge of the table, almost as if he was daring gravity to do its job. And so every single time he would place it there, and every single time we would be like, move it up to the middle of the table. My wife and I would be like, move it up to the middle of the table. And so this continued most of the meal. And you'd think we would have gotten a lid, but we didn't. And so he continued to set it on the very edge of the table. We continued to yell at him until finally it happened. He placed it on the edge of the table. And then he moved his elbow as he was talking to one of his sisters, and juice went everywhere. And what came out of me next was not my best moment. I was overly harsh. And after we'd cleaned up the juice, which really didn't take all that long, I kind of stepped back and I went, wow, what was that, John? Like, the way that I reacted was, was, was way more than I should have, right? It really wasn't about the juice in that moment. Something was going on in my soul, and my son spilling his juice had just brought that out of me. And I think most of us in the room have had those moments where somebody did something, and we reacted, and we wanted to blame them, but deep down we knew there was something else going on inside of us, something that was off. John Wesley, the father of the Methodist movement, would open his Bible study class with the same question every week. He would say, how is it with your soul? Try that question at work on Monday, just see what people say. How is it with your soul? Today, our spiritual practice of week four is to re-examine. The famous philosopher Socrates once said, the unexamined life is not worth living. So what does it mean to examine your life or re-examine? The definition of examine is to inspect something in detail to determine its nature or condition, to investigate thoroughly. So to re-examine would mean to examine our life, to investigate it thoroughly, and then do it again. So let's start with this question. When was the last time you investigated thoroughly the condition of your soul. What would that even look like? And if you did it and you found some issues, what would you do next? It's not like we can run to Walgreens and say, hey, what do you got in the, uh, the soul aisle? I think some of us are nervous to examine our soul because we know there are issues. But we don't know what to do with them. So we keep living, hoping they'll just magically go away. Or we blame other people, right? We're like, well, as soon as my family gets their act together, as soon as my coworkers get their act together, as soon as the world stops having all these issues and wars and viruses, like then my soul will be able to flourish. But deep down, we know like there's always going to be people in our life that bug us. There's always going to be 
hard news articles coming out. There's always going to be different things that happen in our lives. And if we are waiting for that magical day when everything just gets better and, and everyone treats us well and there's just no problems for our souls to flourish, our souls are never going to flourish. Maybe for others of us in the room, we're on the opposite end. We're like, we walked in here, and we're like, you know what, John, my life's pretty good. I don't really need to examine anything. I'm pretty self-aware. In fact, on the way to church today, someone cut me off and I didn't even say anything out loud. But can I just challenge you on something? What's interesting is we human beings, we, are, we always think we're more self-aware than we are. In fact, study after study has shown that when they ask people, when they, when they ask groups of people how self-aware they are, most of the people that are asked say they are more self-aware than average. You see the problem there, right? Like if everyone thinks they're above average, somebody's wrong. And so a word of caution, perhaps you're not quite as self-aware as you think you are. If you have a spouse, just ask them if you're as self-aware as you think you are. Not now. Or maybe some of us are like, you know what, I'm, I'm okay. You know, my soul's okay. But is okay really the bar? Like if you go to the doctor and the doctor does a thorough examination and they go, well, you're okay. Is that really what, is that really what we're going for? So perhaps there's room to grow for all of us in this spiritual practice this week, wherever we find ourselves. So turning to scripture, reading the last two verses of that psalm that Pastor Janelle read earlier, Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. The psalmist writes, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. I'm going to read that one more time. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. So from these verses, I have three steps for us today as we come to the spiritual practice of re-examine. So step number one, slow down. If we are going to examine our souls, it's going to take a slow, thoughtful approach. I mean, imagine a doctor that comes in and you have something wrong and you're really nervous and a doctor rushes in the room and looks you over and goes, eh, you look fine. I got a hot yoga class. I got to go. Right? That would, that would not be helpful. Examination requires slowing down. And when it comes to our spiritual lives, it's going to require a commitment to a thoughtful, unhurried approach. And we all know this. Our pace of life in American culture is not designed for thoughtful, unhurried living. Some of us are so busy, so unable or unwilling to slow down that even if God was trying to point something out, we probably wouldn't notice. We live in a state of hurry and distraction, but often we don't realize the cost. Reminds me of a story of a small charter airplane that was experiencing mechanical failure and the pilot was convinced that they were going to crash, and so he told everyone they need to grab a parachute and jump out of the plane. When it came down to the final four passengers, the pilot, a gentleman tourist, and then a mom and her small son, 
they realized they only had three parachutes left. Four passengers, three parachutes. And so the, uh, the gentleman and the pilot both acknowledged that the mom and her son should get two of them, which left one parachute left. And they were in a hurry, so they decided to uh, decide who got the last parachute, the good old-fashioned way of rock, paper, scissors. And so paper beat rock, and the pilot won. And the gentleman seemed to accept his fate. But when the pilot turned to help the mom and her young son get their parachutes on, he grabbed a parachute and ran out of the plane. So the pilot took a second to collect his thoughts and then turned to the mom and her young son and he said, it's okay, you guys go on without me. But then the young boy replied, actually there's still a parachute left, he just jumped out of the plane with my backpack. Life comes at you fast. And many of us, in our rush from one thing to the next, miss out on the opportunity to work on our spiritual lives. And I get it. Uh, Our family just came out of basketball season, and we are already in the spring-summer baseball softball season. We have three kids in sports, and as I look at our calendar over the summer, I go, oh my goodness. So I get it. Many of us lead busy, stressful lives, and when we have a slow moment, the last thing we want to do is a deep examination of our soul. We just want to zone out. Now, I get it. When I go home, I I just want to sit down and I want to watch Netflix or I want to do Wordle today or I want to read a book and drink coffee or I want to watch March Madness. And I don't want to do any examination of the soul. But without intentionally finding moments to slow down and pay attention to the state of our soul, we miss out on a better way of living. So what would it look like in the busyness and chaos of life to intentionally create moments to slow down and invite the Holy Spirit to point out areas in our life he's inviting us to grow? Psalm 135, the psalmist writes, I wait for the Lord, my whole being waits, and in his word I put my hope. Psalm 62, 5, he says, let all that I am wait quietly before God, for my hope is in him. I think if we were to take these verses and just do a modern American culture translation, it would be something like this. All right, God, I got 60 seconds. What do you got? In 2022, we don't like waiting. And yet, what if life and joy and peace are on the other side of the spiritual practice of slowing down and waiting on God? Most mornings, uh, I make it a spiritual practice to get up, and I go and I get a cup of coffee. That's it. That's my spirit. No, just kidding. That's not. I get a cup of coffee. I sit down on the couch, and before I start reading anything or doing anything, I just, I just sit there and I ask the Holy Spirit to guide my thoughts. And I think back on the previous day, and I look at the previous day, and I evaluate what happened, where I saw God at work where I failed, where I came up short, where I was short or or rude to my wife or my kids. And I just look at the the past day. And then I look ahead to the, the day that's in front of me and I ask God to help me make the most of it and be intentional and listen to his voice. And other times my mind wanders. 
Because it's not perfection. It's just about progress. But it starts with slowing down. Now, I'm not suggesting that you copy me necessarily. Some of you aren't morning people. Some of you don't like coffee. That's okay. No one's perfect. But what would it look like to make a habit of slowing down and quietly waiting on God, allowing God to go into the exam room of your soul and listening for his nudges, allowing him to do his work? You know, when we took uh, Skywalker, the bearded dragon, to the vet, uh, the whole process there took about 75 minutes. Uh, we got there, and we waited in the waiting room, and then, of course, they called us back to, like, the other room, and then we waited in there, and then the assistant came in and asked us some questions, and then she left, and then we waited some more, and then the vet came in, and the vet did the examination, and then took him back for x-rays, and we waited some more, and then she came back with the x-rays, and then they had to get the medicine, and we waited some more. There was, there was, like, 15 minutes of interaction with, you know, the vet and the assistant, and there was, like, an hour of waiting, and we did it because we needed something. I think if we're, if we're honest, a lot of times we're more patient with earthly doctors than we are with our Heavenly Father. So what would it look like this week to slow down, to find opportunities to allow the Holy Spirit to gently work in our lives? And, and I'm not just necessarily even talking about like a specific moment in the morning or at night, but what would it look to, to slow down our pace of life? I get we have a lot of things to do, but, but to not rush through life, but to, to slow down enough to be sensitive to how God is inviting us to interact with the people around us as we go about our day. So that's thought number, step number one, slow down. Secondly, notice. After we slow down, we begin to look at our life, but here's, here's, this is so important. We begin to look at our life through a lens of curiosity. See, some of us have no problem noticing our life and analyzing our life and, and looking back at our, our past day. But here's the issue. We do it with condemnation and guilt and shame. In fact, some of us even use the language of our childhood when, we, when we're talking to ourselves and we're thinking about our life and we, we think things like, oh, shame on you. Why can't you get it together? Why can't you get your life together? You're such a loser. And we beat ourselves up, right? We have no problem analyzing our, our, our past, but we, we do it with this attitude of shame and guilt and condemnation. And that is not at all the spiritual practice of examining our life. When we look at our life, we do it through a lens of curiosity while also acknowledging that God's grace and his mercy are new every morning. Just slowing down and analyzing your life is not necessarily what we're talking about here. In fact, research suggests that those that think about and analyze their lives a lot tend to experience the most anxiety. So that's why it's so vital not to just analyze your life more, but to invite God into the process. To approach your life with curiosity, withholding judgment. See, allowing God to examine your life doesn't mean you overanalyze every interaction and beat yourself up over every failure from the previous day. It's about observing your life with grace while looking for God's nudges to grow. It's about being willing to be curious about why you do what you do, why you react the way you do. 
to begin to probe under your actions to your beliefs and begin to allow God to show you the, the false beliefs that are motivating you. Perhaps when you do that, you begin to see that there's fear motivating you because at your core, you really don't believe that God has your back. You really don't believe that God is, is watching over you. And so you, you feel like it's up to you. Or perhaps there's bitterness or anger about past wounds. And there, you really don't believe that God is the God of justice. You feel like someone got away with something. And the only way that you can hold on to it is by just, just, just staying bitter and angry. Perhaps for others of us, there, there's doubt. There's doubt that God is really as loving, as caring, as involved as the Bible says he is. And so we're on edge just waiting for the next thing to go wrong. What would it look to let God begin to chip away at those beliefs? In 1464, the Florence Cathedral commissioned an artist named Agostino to create a statue for them. At the time, they already had two made by Agostino, and their desire was to add more statues to the outside of their cathedral. Uh, Here is a picture of uh, the modern-day cathedral. Uh, You can see how beautiful it is. And if you look close in the middle there, you can see some of the statues that were eventually commissioned and made. For this particular statue, they acquired a huge piece of marble from the quarries in Tuscany, Italy. After roughing out around the legs, Agostino abandoned the project for unknown reasons. And the block of marble set out in the elements for 12 years, until in 1476, the famous sculptor Antonio Rossellino was hired to take over the project. But he backed out almost immediately, citing the poor quality of the marble. Modern-day analysis of the marble does, in fact, conclude that the marble is mediocre in quality and flawed. So the block of marble set out in the elements for another 25 years, until 1501, another artist was hired to work on it. It took him over two years, but in 1504, he finished the project, and one expert called it bringing back what was dead to life. The artist was Michelangelo, and the statue was called David. Don't worry, it's waist up, our picture, we're in church. Michelangelo took an imperfect block of marble, a block of marble that two artists had already given up on, and he did something extraordinary with it. How? Because he was patient and because he was just that good. Ephesians 2.10, Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, and he says these words, For we... Are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. So this is the beauty of following Jesus. Every day you wake up, you are flawed, you are imperfect, just ask your spouse. And yet, you are God's masterpiece. And God patiently is working through everything you go through, 
the good, the bad, the ugly, everything you've been through, God is at work chipping away, creating something beautiful. And so there's this beautiful tension that you are a human being, you are flawed, you are imperfect, and yet you are God's masterpiece because God is that good. And your job is to simply slow down, notice your life through a lens of curiosity, and allow the Holy Spirit to do the work. Maybe for some of us, there's an opportunity this week to slow down and notice our lives with curiosity. Not judgment, not condemnation. And begin to ask God the areas that he wants to work on. So after we slow down and notice, lastly, we're led into life. See, let's be real clear. Again, we're not talking about doing this. We're not talking about slowing down and noticing because we're going to earn brownie points from God or get God to like us or appear more spiritual in church, right? We're doing all this because on the other side of this is life. The psalmist in our psalm writes, and after he asks God to point out anything in him, he says, lead me along the path of everlasting life. As Jesus walked this earth, he made it very clear that that the opportunity for life isn't just something we get when we go to heaven. It's available now. Jesus said that, that his kingdom is here on earth. Jesus said in John 10.10, 10, I have come to give you life and life to the full. So after we slow down and we notice, God begins to bring us into this new way of living that is so countercultural. It's a way of living where, where, where we have peace and we have joy and we're, we're centered from a deep place regardless of circumstances. It's not a quick process, but since when is anything worthwhile quick? We begin to let go of the need for more and find contentment. We let go of bitterness and find peace. We let go of the desire for control and we find rest. In some cases, it may involve inviting other people into the process, a pastor, a counselor, a friend, because God often works through people around us. We slow down, and as we notice, we begin to really live. I'm coaching my son's baseball team uh, this year. I think I've mentioned that in the past. And uh, I've been listening and watching a lot of videos on the mental side of baseball. Baseball is a very, all, all games have a lot of mental aspects to them, but baseball is such a mental sport um, because unlike basketball and football, right, if you make a mistake in baseball, you make an error, you strike out, um, it can be hours or even days until you have an opportunity to redeem yourself. And so uh, I was listening to one podcast and it was talking about umpires. And uh, I don't know if you all knew this, but umpires sometimes make mistakes. Are you aware of that? Most of you? Okay. And uh, Pastor Mike has mentioned that he was an umpire when he was younger. Um, I, I've heard that he wasn't very good. Uh, he, he couldn't see over the catcher. I love Mike. You, you know that, right? Um, I was, I'm an umpire. I have umpired as well. And uh, umpires, umpires make mistakes. And yet, when you go to a Little League baseball game, it never fails. An umpire will make a bad call, right? The ball will come in low, it'll hit the ground, the umpire will call it a strike, and everyone will lose their minds. And I'm so surprised that this 15-year-old getting paid $30 made a mistake. 
And so on this, on this podcast, uh, this guy makes a great point. He says, why don't we teach our batters to not be surprised when umpires make bad mistakes? Right? When that first ball comes in and it's low and he calls it a strike, why don't we teach our batters to have a little resilience and go, eh, yeah, that's baseball, and focus on the next pitch? And I was thinking about that. You know, Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. Not maybe, not there's a chance. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. And yet I think about how often in my life when trouble happens, I act surprised and shocked. Like, Jesus, what, the, what in the world? What's going on? And I'm not trying to minimize the difficult things that we go through. But I wonder if there's an opportunity to do some work in our souls where we begin to live from a deeper place. So that when things come our way, right, when, when wars break out and viruses happen and, and things happen that are difficult and hard, instead of, instead of freaking out and going, oh my gosh, I can't believe this, is there a possibility as a follower of Jesus to live from a deeper place where we go, yeah, yeah, Jesus said this might happen. But my contentment and my peace and my joy are from a deeper place, not based on circumstances. So this week, as we come to the spiritual practice of re-examine, the challenge is to slow down, to notice, and to allow God to lead us into life. You bow your heads with me as we pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your goodness and your love. And I just pray for those in the room that uh, have no problem analyzing their life, but, the, but they use um, negative language. They beat themselves up. Father, may they be able to approach their life with curiosity and, and grace and see the opportunities they have to grow. Father, I pray that we'd all be able to slow down, to notice to step into the opportunities we have to grow, to be more like you, and to be led into the fullness of life. In Jesus' name, amen.